We're going to go to John, the 20th chapter. John, the 20th chapter, verses 24 through 29. John 20, 24 through 29. Amen. When you have it, say amen. 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 Thank you, Lord, for your anointing today and your power, God. Have your way, God. The Word of God reads, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas' response, my Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Amen? I want to give you this title today. It's a little different spin on this than um, some folks take. Um, But the title of my message today is called Control Freaks. Control freaks. Amen. I was studying this week, and as I study, sometimes I run into things that kind of shifts my mind from my original plan. And uh, I've learned to follow the Holy Spirit in this uh, time that I've been preaching and, 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 you know, just kind of trust his leading where he's going with things Um, and not just go with my strategic plan that, you know, try to get through the Bible. And that's, there's nothing wrong with uh, going through the Bible line by line. As you know, uh, I haven't done a series in a while um, when it comes to the Word of God and teaching, but the Holy Spirit's just been getting me out of my comfort zone week after week. And so the word that I came upon was empiricism, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-I-S-M, empiricism. Something that came up in my study time. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to shift me this week. Um, so I'm going to give you the meaning of that word in just a minute. But I kind of want to set it up first. Okay, so when I was younger, there was a lady, and some of you may know her by name because we grew up with her in the other church. Her name is Lena Edmond. And Lena is like an older sister to, to me and my sister. And she took care of my sister and I 
me and Tristan while my parents were traveling the world singing the gospel. Amen. The Hawkins family at that time were big and we were little. And so we were left at home. And one of the caretakers that we had to take care of us who lived in our home with us was Sister Lena Edmond. Amen. I love Lena. Amen. Uh, But Lena had this thing that she would do that got on me and Tristan's last nerves. And it went something like this. When my sister and I would ask Lena what we were having to eat that evening, Lena would just reply, food. (laughs) Oh, come on, Lena, what are they? What are we having dinner tonight? Food. That's funny. Now, this put my sister and I in a very terrible position. Uh, because we are now in a place where we know that we're eating tonight. We're going to get nourishment. We're going to have, you know, you know, energy for tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but we don't know what is being served, and we have no control over what's being served. And we are guaranteed that we'll make it the next day, but we are hoping to get some specifics so that we could express how we feel about what she's planning to serve. Amen? And in order to perhaps persuade her into giving us what we really want to eat. Amen? It's a control tactic. Okay? Now, I need you to know that I believe this character trait is not just in me, but it's been passed down successfully in all its fullness to my children. Amen? And it's probably in a lot of families. And, you know, you that have children or have been children, I'm sure you either tried it or you've seen this in your own children. And, you know, my children are just like most of y'all children. They're Americans. And being raised in America, we have this thing called democracy. And democracy basically says give the people what they want. <laughs> and if we don't like it, then we're going to go out there and we're going to vote. And the children are in this place, you know, in this position, hoping by sheer numbers. And with me and my wife, we're outnumbered. It's six to two. So we're outnumbered. And when the children, you know, don't like what they are, you know, getting or whatever have you, they want to ask questions about it. And so they are hoping to control the situation, cast their ballot, you know, in order to get you to do what they want you to do. Now, here's the thinking. The thinking kind of goes like this. Even though we are parents and we have the authority, the children have this mindset that says we work for them. (laughs) Right? Right? And if you tell them what you're planning and they don't like it, then they have the opportunity to protest, right? And if you tell them that it's good for them, they don't like your version of what good is. You know, notice it's good for you. Well, I don't, last time you said that Brussels sprouts would be good. I didn't, I didn't agree with you, Dad. You lied to me. <laughs> Amen. So here's the thing. If it's good for them, they may not agree that it's good for them. If you think or you say to them they're going to like it, they might not think it's good to them, you know. And this ends up putting them in a position where they don't trust you. So they'll ask you, 
what's, a, what's the plan for the night? I'd like to know. What are you cooking? What is it? Amen? But it really comes down to this. I would like to see what you're doing before I decide to go along with it. Because for me, seeing is believing and trusting. Right? Seeing is believing and trusting. Now, before I give the word definition, I want to give you this. Faith, and a dictionary explanation of faith, says something like this. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Wow. Strong belief in God or in the doctrines of religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Did you catch that? Trust based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Okay? And the Bible says it this way. We all know it. Hebrews 11 and 1. And it's going to stay here for a minute. Okay? Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. This verse says basically you have assurance about something or someone, namely God, even though you can't see God or see what he's doing or see what he's up to. Amen? Amen. Basically, faith gives you the ability to completely trust. Amen. Now, empiricism, our word for today, means this. The theory that all knowledge and all truth is derived from sense experience. Sense experience. Things that I can use my senses, my eyes, my touch, my ears, my... Okay? Things that I can obviously see. Stimulated by the rise of experimental science. And experimental science is this. It's the way scientists seek to build knowledge through direct observation and the measurement of objects. Okay? And this was developed in the 17th and 18th century and expounded uh, in particular by a man by the name of John Locke, David Hume, and another guy by the name of George Berkeley. Now remember that last name, George Berkeley. It's kind of where we get the basis for a statement that seeing is believing. Okay? You following me? Now, George Berkeley was a philosopher in the 1800s, and he's the father of what we would call empiricism. Of our word, okay? And this man, Berkeley, uh, was also the man that Berkeley, California was named after. Isn't that interesting? George Berkeley, the father of empiricism, the father of seeing is believing, the father of experimental science, the father of, you know, if I can observe it, if I can measure it, if I could do an experiment on it, it must be true. Okay? All right. Now, here's the thing. They believe that we can know and trust only what comes from 
science, science experiments or what we can obviously observe. But here's the thing about Berkeley. I don't know if you've ever been there, but Berkeley is not exactly the Bible Belt. You go have dinner up in there, you're going to be like, what are you reading? What are you believing? Burn that book. Okay? Berkeley is not famous for being people or having people of faith live in that city. There's all kinds of stuff that they believe, but it ain't godly. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Let me back up and balance this a little bit. Scientific data is not necessarily a bad thing. We base medical treatments on science. Amen? I don't believe uh, that having faith means you throw out your brain. Okay? Or you turn off your mind, you know? All right? There are people who won't even go to the doctor uh, that are sick, that are trusting in God, not realizing that God has given, given scientists or the doctors knowledge to participate in your healing. Amen? So actually, science is really not really a conflict of, with God. It's people that build the conflict, not science. All right? But there are times in your life, people, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of older saints in here know this, but I am learning it. And for all the young people out there listening, there are times in your life when you're going to have to go and do what God said, even if it's outside what naturally comes natural to you. Amen? I can't see it. I don't understand it. I can't touch it. Can't experience it. You, know, you, you follow me? Okay. So some of us get in trouble when we're going through a trial because we depend on our senses more than we depend on the promises of God. I'm going to say that again. Some of us get in trouble because we depend on our senses more than we depend on the promises of God. We need to see, you know, this is what we say. We need to see God do something first before I trust him. Before I believe God is good, I need to see him do something good. Amen? But if God takes us through something that is against what we think is good, do we just walk out on God? Hmm? Suddenly, after we suffer disappointment... Do we just kick God to the curb? I would say that suffering and trials brings us to a place where we can slip into a lot of doubt. Amen? Suffering has been one of the main things, I believe, that has kicked people right on out the church doors. Probably and possibly more than anything else. Okay? Suffering and trials can be a revealer of whether or not you're really saved. Because when you go through something that you don't understand or something that you don't like or something that you've decided is not good, uh, God doesn't exist in certain areas. And God doesn't exist for you to walk out of that relationship with God. Here's the thing. You prove that you were never really in relationship with God in the first place if you walked out on God just because you don't understand. Okay. You're getting it. Basing on your, basing your relationship, rather, on what you see in that faith is unrealistic. Okay? So empiricism 
or experimental science, as I said, is really seen as believing. But it's not something that you can pretty much base your whole life on, okay? There will be times in your life where God will put you through some stuff and God will serve you some things on your plate (laughs) that you never expected. Amen? And the believer is going to have to decide that whatever God serves is not just good for you, it's what's best for you. But to go along with whatever that is that God is serving, it's going to take faith. And faith is not seen as believing. Amen? So I personally believe that God wants us to get to a place where we trust God, where we grow up and no longer remain children who protest because we cannot see what he's doing. The truth is, is that we got control issues. Let's just be honest. But the root of those control issues is really a hefty doubt of God. Amen? So John 20, 24 through 29 says this. Mm. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. He's alive, basically. But Thomas replied, I won't believe you unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my finger into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. There it is right there in your Bible. Empiricism. You see it? I rely on my senses and my senses alone before I can move forward. I will not believe until I run my experiment. Amen? But you cannot make a metaphysical or take the metaphysical and use your senses of uh, observation to arrive at a conclusion that's true or false. What I'm saying is you cannot run an experiment on your experience. You cannot run an experiment on your experience. Are you hearing me? Amen. The metaphysical is in a realm of what you cannot see. And just because you cannot see it with your natural eye does not mean it's not there. It doesn't mean it's not real. Okay, so one of the guys that I studied when I was looking at this, Michael Durham said this, and he uses this example. He says, for example, human thought belongs to the realm of reality that is not observable to science. Okay, you cannot see my thought. Right? You can only hear its effects. Right now, you're listening to the results of my thoughts being communicated, but you can't see or measure my actual thought. No more than you can actually see my mind. Now, here's the thing. You cannot put human thoughts in a test tube and run an experiment on a thought. (laughs) Right? Now, what we can do medically 
Here's where we come out of the metaphysical and go into the physical, where we can actually use our senses. You can do brain surgery. And maybe you can be enlightened by what you discover. Maybe they run some tests and they can see the patterns of your brain and run a CAT scan and, and see all these patterns. But we cannot prove, even after that CAT scan, that you had one single thought. Right? So in conclusion, he says this. This is careful. Watch. You got to get this. This messed me up. He said, you can see the brain, but you can't see the mind. That's heavy. You can see the brain, but you really can't see the mind. Right? Okay, so here's the thing. I would say it like this. When we deal with some people, (laughs) we may say to them, you've lost your mind. I didn't say you lost your brain. Nobody walks up to a person and says, you've lost your brain. No, we always say, have you lost your mind? Right? Now, we can't see the mind, right? And they're not carrying their mind in their pocket like car keys, right? But I can feel the effect of your mind. That's how I know you're crazy. <laughs> Think about it. I know you're crazy not because of your brain. I know you're crazy because of the effects of your mind. And the effects of your mind are very real to me, whether you want to. <laughs> Think about it. Now, this is where Thomas the disciple really is. He's saying, unless I see or I can see with my natural senses, brothers, fellow disciples, I will not believe that Jesus is alive. I will not trust. I will not move forward in faith. One inch. Now, before we judge Thomas too quickly, and his nickname is not the twin, the famous nickname is Doubting Thomas. Okay? That's what he's most famously known for in the Bible, as the doubter. Okay? We have statements about that. We have, like, you know, ways we use that even in sentences when we're talking about somebody else. He's a doubting Thomas. Okay? Now, let me show you what I learned about Thomas. Because just before we start throwing a shoe at him, let's look at ourselves. Okay. So watch this. Thomas has been rolling with Jesus for a few years now. He loves Jesus, and he doesn't want Jesus to go. He loves Jesus, okay? Things have been going well for Thomas for about three and a half years. He's seen things he's never thought he would see. Miracles are happening right in front of his face. Jesus, his friend, can feed thousands of people at the same time. Blind folks can suddenly see. Folks that were deaf can hear. Folks that couldn't talk can talk. The lame are getting up in there, taking a walk. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus can stop demons, command demons. Jesus can even stop death. And Thomas is hearing teaching that he's never heard before in his entire life. Jesus is blowing his mind. And this new Jesus movement that he's a part of now is starting to gain some steam. People are coming from everywhere. There's some momentum. We're rolling with Jesus. Jesus is rolling with us. You follow me? 
And then there's this growing belief. There's this rumor going around that could it be possibly that Jesus is really the Messiah that we've been looking for? Then Jesus throws a wrench in everything. <laughs> he makes a, two, a few tweaks to his messages. And he starts talking about the fact that he's getting ready to die. And they arrest Jesus. And they bring up some trumped up charges with no witnesses. And even though they don't have credible witnesses, the trial's not going well. It's not looking good. And they end up putting a nail in Jesus' hand. And they put him on a cross. And Jesus, who can do anything, decides not to defend himself. Jesus dies on that cross. And all the hope that Thomas had gets turned upside down. Then the craziest thing happens. Three, day, three days later after his death, his friends come and tell him, guess what? He got up. Jesus is alive. But Thomas, who doesn't see physical evidence at that time, doesn't want to believe that Jesus is actually alive. And he decides not to believe it. The truth is, he's been on an emotional roller coaster for three and a half years. And this has all been a bit too much for him. Now, I don't know about you, but I can identify with that. So before we look at Thomas and say, what's wrong with him? Some of us have been going through some things for quite some time. And it's hard. And we want to have faith, but we get shook up. Can I be honest with you? Is it just me? All right. So what does Thomas do? He goes back to what he knows. Seeing is believing. And just like Thomas, we decide that before I can move forward, I need the Lord to show me something. I need to see something. And frankly, Lord, I've decided that I don't like what you've been serving me on my plate. Amen? I'm going to need to see where this is going so I can feel like moving forward in faith. Right? Now, here's the thing. That's normally where the protest starts because we don't know what God is doing. Right? But here's the thing. We tend to think that we were, you know, in my Christianity, I'm a little bit better than Adam and Eve. You know? I would have been smarter if God had put me in the garden. You know, I would have been more righteous. I would have been the one that obeyed you, God. I don't like that fruit anyway. <laughs> we say that if I saw all the miracles that Jesus was doing, I would have never been in the crowd talking about crucify him. Give us Barabbas. I would have never run when the soldiers came. I would have never been the one that doubted you. This is what Peter thought about himself. He denied Christ three times before the whole night was over. Three nights in a row. The problem is, 
as we see in our study, in our consecration time, in our pamphlet that we're going through, we're not humble. We don't really know ourselves. We step outside of our house on Sunday thinking that we're super Christians while we are fearful, doubting God, freaking out because we can't see what God is up to, functioning in the church, but functioning with control issues. Amen? If your faith, here's the point, comes from your own ability to believe God, then it's not saving faith at all. Therefore, that faith is not dependable. The faith that can override our tendency to be control freaks requires faith that comes from God and not us. Amen? Let me give you an example. When a parent loves their child, they do all they can for that child even though that child may be in a position where they're doing everything they can to destroy themselves. The truth is, is the kind of love that a mother and a father has for their child, that is something that's given to them. This is an ability that has been placed in us by God. You love on that baby no matter how old they get. Ain't that the truth? You don't go develop this in school. It's given to you. That's the kind of faith that we need to override our control issues. Amen? If God doesn't gift you with the ability to have faith in him, then you really don't have saving faith. Mm. It comes from God. It's not intellectually required. It's it's, It's not something that you can kind of figure out on your own. It's supernaturally imparted. You don't know why. You don't know how, you don't know what you did to get yourself through what you got through. But no matter what happens, you still get up and pray. No matter what happens, you still seek his face. No matter what happens, you still have a praise in your mouth for God. No matter what happens, somehow you have the ability to trust God and make it through the next day, even though you don't know how you made it through yesterday. Now, you can't run an experiment on that. You can't put that in a test tube, but it doesn't mean it's not real. This faith does not come from you and me. It has to come from God. Amen? Now, here's the problem. You and I, if we're honest, we want to be in control. Don't we? We're comfortable when we're in control. But to trust God, we have to realize that he's the only one in control. (laughs) The truth is, is it would be a nice thing of God to send us a text or an email. (laughs) So that we can know everything we need to know to move forward in faith. Thank you, Lord. Now I know how this story ends. Right? We would like that. But the truth is, let's just think that through. If God gave us a list of what was good for us and told us everything that we would go through in advance, we would tell God no thanks. Ain't that true? We'd leave skid marks in this church from the seats we're sitting in right now. 
carpet would be on fire. And here's the thing. We would never sign up for half of the stuff that God has already brought us through. <laughs> Think about what you've been through. Would you be like, you know what? Let's do that again. I'm going to go get back on the ride. Stand in line. Let's do it again. This ain't great America. This is life. Let me, uh, take, go back to John 20 and uh, verse 26. John 20, verse 26. Here's what happened. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas says, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Here's what I want you to notice. First thing that we have to take a look at, Jesus understands that Thomas wants to see and touch and examine before he moves forward. So Jesus appears to Thomas and he lets him touch him, lets him put the wound in his side, lets Thomas run his whole experiment. Because why? Jesus knows us. Jesus is kind. Jesus is patient. Jesus understands that we don't have it without his help. Are you hearing that? He's not beating up on Thomas. He's basically saying, okay, you can run your experiment. Go ahead. Touch me. Examine me, pull out your science material and whatever you need, get your test tubes out, bring your laboratory, whatever you need to do. Jesus appears to Thomas and lets him do all of that. But Jesus also says to Thomas, Thomas, you can't stay there, though. You cannot stay there. You cannot be faithless. You must believe. Amen? Amen. He, st- he tells them to stop being faithless and believe because you're going to run into TLC church members. Situations where you're not going to be able to run an experiment on what God is doing. You won't be able to tell. You won't be able to see. You won't be able to figure it out. It will make some- sometimes it will make absolutely no sense. And at that moment... You and I are going to have to decide whether or not we love God, huh? whether or not we are going to trust God in spite of what we can see or touch. Some people say, I'm not going to trust you, Lord, until I have good times. This is obviously God that I'm experiencing right now because things are so good. God can't be behind all this mess. Uh. 
Don't be so sure. You hear me? We say I believe God when things are going my way. Mm-hmm. When I experience better circumstances, then I feel like going on. I feel like going on. Because you're doing so much that I really like. I feel like going on. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> But here's the thing, people, just like little kids, sometimes we are saying to God, Lord, just give us the Snickers, the Doritos, and the M&Ms, put it on our plate, pour Slurpee all on the side of it, chocolate syrup, and now now I believe you, God, just get some more of them M&Ms, I'm blessed. John 14, 1 through 5, almost done. John 14, 1 through 5. Jesus says this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Everything. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Now watch Thomas's response. No. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> we don't know, Lord, Thomas says. We actually have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And we know, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know that part, right? But this whole chapter, you know, in some chapters before, Jesus is telling them that he's getting ready to leave. He's bringing this fact home. It's becoming a reality for his disciples. Whether they like it or not, Jesus is leaving. And they're going to have to face this fact. Now, he assures them, Later on in this chapter, he says, I'm not leaving you by yourself. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is coming. And he will be with you. He will be in you. But guess what? I'm still leaving. Deal with it. So the disciples are now being put in a place, in a position, where they're going to have to grow up and trust the Holy Spirit that they cannot see or touch. Oh. They're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit from here on. Before they can go up to Jesus, run up to Jesus, and touch Jesus and ask questions to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need my rent. Jesus, I need this situation. Jesus, my kids ain't acting right. Whatever the situation is. Now, it's not about running to Jesus that you can see. Now it's about the Holy Spirit inside that you cannot see. Amen? And in John 14, 23, skip down to the 23rd verse. It says this. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. I'm going to read that again. All who love me will do what I say. 
My father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. If any man love me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. That's what that verse says in King James. He's basically saying, you're going to do what I say, and I will make my home in you. Amen? And let's get down to the 14 to 28, 28th verse. John 14, 28, same chapter, 28th verse. Then he says it again. Remember what I told you. Oh, saints, what he's saying, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's saying at some point, you're going to have to trust what I said. You're going to have to trust what I said. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you will be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. Here it is again, verse 29. I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. He's talking about having faith. He's talking about the, listen, I know that I'm with you right now and you can see and touch me, but eventually it's going to have to come down to what did I say? And if you love me, Here's the thing. You're going to be tested. That love is going to be tested. What are you talking about, Pastor Jamie? Eventually, your love is going to have to turn into obedience. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not, I'm going to trust you because it looks a certain way. But I'm going to obey you and remember what you said, no matter what it looks like. I know your word is true. You will not be able to see and touch me to get through these trials. But Jesus says, you will have to believe what I told you. Amen. So, in conclusion, control freaks. What makes us real Christians? It's not your ability to debate your faith. Apologetics is good. But that's not what makes you a real Christian. It's not your ability to present convincing arguments that can intellectually affirm that there really is a God. Amen? It's not even whether or not you believe in God. Let me tell you why. The demons believe in God. What makes you a real Christian is based on whether or not you love God. And how do you know you love God? You love God when you can obey his word. When you can trust what he's saying. And this loving obedience, if you don't know by now, it will be tested. It will. Pastor Jamie is just telling you, it will be tested. So I'll leave you with this here. With empiricism and experimental science, seeing is believing. But with God, believing is really seeing. Believing is really seeing. And if you want to deal with your control issues, We're going to have to trust the Lord and let us walk, let him walk us through those places where I can't feel, 
I can't see. I have no idea what you are doing. And if I'm totally honest with you, Lord, I don't like what you are serving me on this plate. But I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I'm done.